If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Reveal. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. How much can you tell about a person from the books on their shelves? Well, quite a lot, according to the historian Geoffrey Roberts, because his new book, Stalin's Library, seeks to offer fresh insights into the Soviet dictator through a study of the vast book collection that he accumulated over his lifetime. In conversation with Rob Attar, Professor Roberts discusses the books that Stalin read and how they shaped his political trajectory and brutal regime. Many books and biographies of Stalin have been written, including many by yourself. So I wondered what additional perspectives you think can be provided by approaching his life through his library. Right. Yeah. So, so my book is is essentially um, an intellectual portrait of Stalin. Um, and I, you know, I paint the picture, I tell the story through um, using his personal book collection yeah including a number of texts about 400 texts that he actually he he marked or annotated or wrote in uh, in, in, in in some form so basically it's an it's a portrait of an intellectual now i'm not the first by no means the first person to to identify Stalin as uh, essentially being an an intellectual yeah that's not a, a, a new uh, a, that's not, that's not a new idea um you know and there are other books out there that um, you know, provide an intellectual portrait or an intellectual biography of Stalin. Not that many, actually, because um, most of the literature <laughs> tends to focus on, on on other aspects of of his of his life. Um, but there's no book that actually um, you know, f- focuses so much and so centrally on uh, his personal library as a source. And the reason I do it, and it's the reason I took on the project in the first first place, because this is a kind of like uh, this, is, this is a very special source, yeah. Um, it's the yeah, the only source that we really see Stalin at his most intimate as an intellectual. We see him thinking aloud. We can 
to a certain extent follow his thought processes. We can actually in- engage with him emotionally as he's reading various texts text as well. So, you know, and th- there is no other source of light. Of course, you know, since the collapse of the USSR, um, we've had access to, you know, thousands of files, tens of thousands of documents uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Soviet archives, uh, you know, many of which uh, bear Stalin's like imprint or, you know, import into them. But, you know, they're kind of like public papers rather than private papers. Yeah, the, you know the Stalin's library, apart from a few letters to um, some family members, very short letters, it's the only really personal source we have in relation to, to Stalin. Yeah, so, so 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 that's that. I mean that that's that's the USP of the book. We get an in, um, you know it's not it's an intimate intellectual uh, portrait of Stalin, a story told through. Um, uh, viewing Stalin's life as a reader and following his uh, reading life. And when we talk about Stalin's library, how how should someone picture that? Are we thinking about a grand room filled with dusty volumes or is it really a collection of books that was dispersed around his various residences and rooms? It, 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 well, it's it's a latter. It, it's <clears throat> it's a it's a collection uh, of books, <clears throat> and you know, in some ways, you can you know, if you're a if you're a reader yourself, and you you know you you collect books or you have a personal book collection. In some ways, you know, Stalin's Stalin's personal book book collection um, is very much like your own book collection. Um, uh, you know, I mean, one of the points I always make about in relation to my personal relationship to his project is that my own personal library, which you know, dates back nearly 50 years now, has a lot of characteristics that are similar to Stalin's uh, library. A lot of the same books, in fact, although, of course, you know, my library is mostly English language, whereas his library was in Russian. So Stalin's library is just like anyone else's library in, in one sense. Of course, it's quite a, a big uh, collection uh, of books. Um we we don't know exactly how big it was for reasons which maybe will come up later in the the, the interview, but you know, we're talking about maybe some twenty five thousand texts, you know, books, pamphlets, uh, periodicals. So quite a substantial um, collection, uh, and you know where 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 these books were kept. Well, they were kept in his office. They were kept in his apartment. They were kept at his 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 various uh, at his various statues. Yeah. Now, having said that, so so he is a kind of scattered kind of collection you know it's it, it books to be found where he lives and, and where and where he works and actually where he lives he's always working i mean stalin is always working so he always needs access to uh, his books which and his books this this by the way this, this library is not just a, a book collection or something for casual reading this is his research library yeah this is his personal archive that's that's the crucial thing so wherever he's working you'll you'll find elements of this 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 personal library okay but here's the thing in the mid 1930s the library does actually um <clears throat> acquire what you might call a center of gravity in the form of a big new data, a big country house, which was constructed for him on the outskirts of Moscow. And, you know, the central feature of this big data, this big, big mansion was a library room. Yeah. A huge kind of library room with some very big bookcases packed full, uh, full of books. But actually most of his books um, weren't, well, actually, in that room at the Dacha, they were actually in an adjoining building. There was an adjoining building with a basement, and, and that's where most of his books was clicked. Yeah, but so so from mid nineteen thirties, the main, um, the center of Stalin's book collection is this uh, is this Dacha. And you you talked earlier about I think twenty five thousand volumes potentially in this library. So does this mean that Stalin was a really voracious reader? And if so, is that something that held true throughout his life? 
virtually his whole life that's what Stalin mainly did he read he read books I mean it was it was reading that um, drew him to the revolutionary underground in Russia okay as as a, um, a political activist he engaged in all kinds of activities but mostly what he did was read you know he read materials he reflected on materials he engaged with materials tried to turn them into agitational uh, material uh, and, and and that kind of thing yeah you know Stalin's whole life was in one you know, in one sense dedicated uh you know to, to reading yeah so so yeah so so, so re- reading was what was Stalin's life so it's in a, in a way it's not um surprising that he he ended up having such a huge uh, per, personal library, and it's also not surprising in another sense. Okay, <clears throat> so I, you know I, I described Stein earlier as an intellectual, um, but all of the Bolshevik Party leaders were intellectuals like Stalin. They were all read <laughs> voraciously, as you put it. They all uh, built up quite huge personal book collections, and of course. Um, the most important of these Bolshevik leaders, uh, and the, the most important intellectual among them, was of course Lenin. Yeah, Lenin was Stalin's mentor. Lenin was his role model. And Lenin, you know, where, after he took power in 1917, he's the leader of the country. He's effectively the, the prime minister. He works in an office surrounded by books. He has a he, he has a huge personal book collection. When Lenin dies in 1924, there were there were nearly nine thousand books in in his collection. So that that's that's the model which Stalin, um, yeah, uh, bases himself when he when he becomes general secretary of party and when he takes on Lenin's mantle as the leader of the Soviet state. Yeah, he's you know okay. He works surrounded by documents with all these kind of huge inputs coming into his office from his staff and from others. You know, uh, yeah making decisions and so on but he also works surrounded by his own personal book collection and that's one of the most important sources of his thinking his orientation and indeed of many of the actual decisions he takes and so when stalin's reading is he reading predominantly for work purposes is it to educate himself does he sometimes read for pleasure is it a combination of all of these I think it's a combination of all those. Of course, you know, Stalin was was always working, yeah? yeah? I mean, he was a workaholic, yeah? Um, <clears throat> and, you know, politics, political engagement was the overwhelming you know, feature of, of his life, yeah? Uh, you know, he, he neglected his family. You know, politics was, was everything. So his reading tended to be highly political, not just in, um, in terms of the kind of things he was reading, but his responses to it and, and how he fought to, fought, fought to make, make use of it, yeah. So it, so it is very, it's engaged and it's purposeful reading. Yeah, but having said that, he also does read for pleasure. Um, he... He's certainly reading to learn. I think it's probably the most important thing about Stalin when he's reading, uh, reading anything actually, not just his li- own library books. He's actually learning. He's learning. He's, he's learning. He's reading to learn something new. He's reading to le- learn from you know his impo- uh, opponents. He's le- he's le- he's reading to okay to pick up some ammunition to use against them. But he's also reading them to actually some find some useful things that he, he, he can on table. So 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 very much um, a learning reader, and you can actually see that. Um, in, in you know in 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 his library books, where he marks his library books, yeah, you can see him engaging with political opponents in terms of the way he marks down and takes them. But you can also see him at the same time actually learning stuff from these very same people who he's gathering you know <laughs> ammunition on to attack publicly. Yeah, so that's interesting because obviously within the Soviet Union there were a lot of restrictions placed on the works of 
um, foes, both internal and external. I presume it wouldn't be very easy for a typical Soviet citizen to read the works of Leon Trotsky, but Stalin didn't apply these strictures to himself then. No, of course, Stalin had um, had access to any any, any kind of book uh, that he wanted. Um, it's not really until the 1930s that you get really heavy kind of like restrictions on the reading matter. That, that's 1920s, a relatively relaxed regime. In the 1920s, there's still a lot of private publishers um, in existence. There's actually still a lot of books being imported um, you know, from abroad, you know, being produced by Russian emigrate great groups. So it's only really in the 1930s um, that the restrictions come in. Having said that, of course, from the very beginning, the Bolsheviks had attempted to control what people uh, read. They had attempted to control what books were in the library, what book books that, that people were, were given access to. But of course, yeah, none of these restrictions um, applied to Stalin. I mean, the other thing there was, of course, there was um, there were a number of books that were. Um, translated into Russian uh, on a restricted circulation basis. So there were only a few hundred copies made and uh, <clears throat> that would have only been circulated uh, among Soviet leaders themselves. Yeah. So, for example, Winston Churchill's History of the Second World War, Churchill's Memoir History of the Second World War, published in late 1940s, early 1950s, translated into Russian in, Rush in a restricted circulation edition. Stalin would have um, certainly been sent uh, a copy of that book. Now, whether or not he read it, I'm afraid we don't know because that's one of the many books that actually disappeared uh, from his library after his death. But but certainly, you know, he would have been presented with, uh, you know, a, a private translation of, um, of of Churchill's memoir. And also, sometimes um, Stalin requested translations of particular uh, books that he wants to read personally. So, so for example, Stalin was very interested in Bismarck, yeah, uh, and he. Um, he actually directed that a new translation be made of Bismarck's memoirs. And there was a particular book about Bismarck's conduct of foreign policy that Stalin had a special translation made for him. Now, clearly Stalin had a very wide library, but um, are there any authors that were particularly important and were particularly well represented on his bookshelves? Well, Stalin's favourite author was Lenin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stalin had um, more books by Lenin than any other single author. And in terms of Stalin's marking of his books, his annotations, yeah, yeah Lenin uh, is, is by far the most represented author. Yeah. Okay. A large part of the of the the library is um, it's a Marxist and socialist library because Stalin was a Marxist and socialist, so he tended to read. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the literature generated uh, by it, by the movement that he he identified uh, identified with. So yeah, so you know, it's very much um, you know the library of a, of a Marxist and socialist. But at the same time, there's lots of other different books in the library as well. It's not just Marxist, socialist, and and, and, and communist stuff. All kinds of books, all kinds of authors uh, that you find in Stalin's library. And are there any books that? really surprised you when you discovered that Stalin had them in his collection? Um, I, I was, yeah, there was one book, in, there was one book in particular that surprised me. It was that, and it was a book about um, constitutional law or the constitutions of uh, so-called bourgeois democratic countries. Now, the fact that he had this book is not so surprising. And it was a book that was based on um, 
some lectures by a Soviet academic, yeah. But the fact was, the fact that surprised me was the attention that um, Stalin paid to this uh, particular book, marking up in quite some detail. You know, the book's description of different kinds of constitutions, different forms, different types of elections and election system. He marked up in in, in, in a huge amount of detail this particular book. So, so that was certainly. Um, um, of interest to me. And there was actually a precedent for that as well, which, which actually I discovered subsequently. So I first I came across this book, about, published in 1945, yeah? So he read it quite late on. And, and Stalin uh, obviously read this book in great detail, marked it in some detail. That was very interesting. Then subsequently I came across another book on a similar uh, kind of theme, uh, which was published in the 1930s, and he'd also marked up that book. Now that particular uh, piece of reading was... Um, was inspired by the fact that in the mid 1930s there was this discussion going on about the adoption of a new a new Soviet constitution, a new Soviet constitution in 1936. And as part of his in- engagement with that process, Stalin obviously did some research of his own, and, and including the research into uh, the constitutions of uh, other com- of, of other countries. And in fact, he refers to them uh, in his own speeches. And that's an interesting illustration of a point I was making earlier, which is just that. Yeah, Stalin's uh, personal reading, yeah, is what I call his extracurricular reading, was often quite important in shaping, you know, his politics and his policy, yeah, and his and his and his and his strategies. So, can we see the development of Stalin's political worldview through the books that he's reading and the annotations he's making on them? We can certainly see a good deal of his worldview. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Obviously, the source in one sense is limited. Okay, there's you know 400 books that he marked to one degree or another. Some of these books he didn't he didn't mark much at all. Obviously, marked in great in great detail. But th- that that's just you know, one part, one glimpse of his life as a reader, of the books he read, and how he in- engaged engaged with them. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we have several thousand other books which we know <clears throat> we, we we know were part of his library. Um, so that gives us some idea of his reading universe uh, as his life but <clears throat> i think if you want yeah but if you want to see the development of stalin's you know worldview and political thinking the best way to to do that is through what he says publicly is through his um his speeches and his own writings i mean one of the chapters uh, of my book is devoted to um well it's, it's, it's partly devoted to uh the whole project to publish uh stalin's collected writings yeah now from stalin's point of view that was a very very important um project stalin wasn't much taken with the idea of biographies of himself but he liked the idea of his works, his writings being being published, just like you know, Lenin's works have been published, of course, and, and other bol- Bolshevik things. So that was a very important um, project, uh, you know, to him, and he took a lot, of, a lot paid that a lot of attention. So that kind of, um, yeah, and it's through you know Stalin's writings, you know, which, which date back to the the early twentieth century through to the end. Yeah, that that's the best way to uh, trace his worldview. But the library can assist you in that process. You know, it can show you. What he was reading at the same time, the different inputs into that, and you know, and start some some of the things that might have influenced uh, his, his thinking. So, yeah, so my book, okay, is you know, it's a portrait of Stalin um, 
uh, you know, a, 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 as a reader, but it's also to a certain extent a portrait of Stalin as a writer, and also most very importantly a portrait of Stalin as an editor as well. So you know, an intellectual portrait of Stalin as reader, writer, and editor. That that's the, the essential theme of my book. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Just after the revolution, when he, he filled out a, a party questionnaire asking what special skills he could offer to the party, he put down journalists. You know, that's what that's how he described, you know, and, and I think that's how he saw himself. He saw himself as a, a professional uh, revolutionary, as a revolutionary uh, journalist. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. And how um, strong or successful a writer was Stalin? I mean, you generally don't hear his name in the same vein as Lenin in terms of his intellectual contribution to the communist movement. Is is that unfair, do you think? Well, what I would say is this, is that you know, Stalin was um, you know, a serious intellectual yeah he took ideas seriously he took um intellectual activities very very seriously indeed uh, and he also had quite a high opinion of himself as an intellectual you know he genuinely saw himself as being lenin's successor you know as not just the, the leader of the party the head of the state or the leader of the state but also as you know the, the marxist theoretician of, uh, of of communism yeah okay but truth be told stalin wasn't <laughs> a great intellectual yeah i i, I think um yeah he, there, there were one or two contributions he made to the development of Marxist theory, but they weren't what you would call you know, fundamental fundamental contributions. Yeah. Okay, so so he wasn't a great intellectual in terms of depth, profundity, originality, but he was very a very effective intellectual. Um he was a great clarifier, simplifier, summarizer, very, very, very um effective, you know, presenter or of and persuasive presenter of, of of ideas. So so that was his hallmark uh, as an intellectual side. <clears throat> now in, and that, that's reflected in in the way he wrote. I mean basically Stalin wrote like a journalist or wrote like a, a journalist come, come politician. It's very, very journalistic. His prose, I would say, is very journalistic. And, of course, that's not surprising because one of the main um, roles that he played uh, before the Russian Revolution as a, as a political activist was that as a journalist, yeah, writing articles, uh, editing newspapers. That's what he did. Uh, just after the revolution, when he, he filled out a, a party questionnaire asking what special skills he could offer to the party, 
he put down journalists. You know, that's what that's how he described. You know, and, and I think that's how he saw himself. He saw himself as a a professional uh, revolutionary, as a revolutionary uh, journalist, and that's very much the character of his own published writings, journalistic. Now, of course, um, Stalin's regime is noted for the terrible atrocities that took place, and millions of people killed, millions of Soviet citizens killed, and the purges and the restrictions placed on people's lives. And do you get much insight into the motivations for his brutality through his yeah. reading? Yeah, I mean that's a very important point you've raised here. Okay, so you know, I present and you know, Stalin as an intellectual, you know, uh, a portrait of Stalin as an intellectual, as a reader, he's reading life, and you know, you can read the book and you can actually come away with, uh, you know, a very you know, positive impression of Stalin in that respect. But you know, portraying Stalin as a serious, engaged intellectual, uh, uh, as a feeling intellectual, actually, is not in any way to deny, you know, um, you know. The, 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 the brutal repressive nature of his dictatorship and to deny his responsibility for the deaths of, of millions of, uh, of of innocent people and in, and in fact you know in the book you know, the very first sentence of the book is that you know this is a book about one of history's bloodiest dictators that's the very first sentence in the book and there's quite extensive treatment spread throughout the book of the repressive uh, aspects of Stalin's uh, dictatorship. In fact, there is a whole section uh, which is called Stalin's Terror, uh, which is devoted to um, the mass repressions of the 1930s, yeah? when you know, millions of people were arrested and hundreds of thousands were executed for um, you know, uh, you know, political crimes. So, so I attempt to, uh, in that section, I attempt to um, explain what's going on here. And, and, and Stalin's role in in this process, and there's no doubt that he orchestrated uh, the whole thing. Uh, he, he, you know, he set it in motion. He presided over it, and indeed, he was the one who actually brought it to an end in 1938. He, you know, he, you know, he, he drove the terror, but in the end, he also uh, curtailed it as well. Um, but you know, my basic explanation as to why. Stalin's terror, Stalinist terror, not just in the 1930s, um, but, you know, throughout the, the whole of his regime, was that it was driven by ideas. And the factors of Stalin's intellectuality is a very, very important part of the explanation for what was actually going on, right? So, it's, so, so you know, basically in the 1930s, the terror was driven by Stalin's belief uh, that the Soviet Union was under siege from foreign enemies, and that there was an in, uh, there were uh, there was an internal conspiracy against the socialist system, and that these internal enemies were linking up with with the Soviet states' foreign enemies, and 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 that that threat had to be crushed, ruthlessly crushed, particularly since uh, Stalin also believed that there was going to be a new world war, that war w was coming, that sooner or later there was going to be uh, another major global conflict and the Soviet Union was uh, would be dragged into that conflict and indeed might actually become its main victim if the, you know, in, in certain circumstances. So, so I see the terrorists being driven by Stalin's view of the situation, his his ideas, his belief in his ideas, his his belief in the idea that that the, the stronger socialism became, you know, the, the more determined would its enemies be to actually destroy the system, to subvert it, to attack it from both inside and, and outside. So, 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 so it's Stalin's ideology, his belief, and his um, 
you know, and he feels this as well. No, it's not just an abstract idea. He feels the threat <laughs> to the system and he reacts accordingly. And then you've, you've just mentioned the the war, which, which of course did come uh, right at the start of the 1940s for the Soviet Union. Did that change Stalin's reading at all? Do you find him reading a lot more works by, you know, by British authors, American authors, German authors? Is he looking back to history more then at this point? Well, I, I think, well, it depends which part of the war you're talking about. Um, certainly in, in, until 1941, until the, the, the Soviet Union um, becomes involved in the war, Stalin continues to read a lot of books. Uh, 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 there's evidence for that. I think once the war begins, once the Germans attack in June 1941, Stalin's um, reading life, personal reading life, is curtailed. Yeah, it's just too busy. He's you know, Stalin is the whole, is the center, the linchpin of the whole Soviet Soviet war, war phase. He's everything. Yes, he's every, everything everywhere. He's the one taking all the, all the major t- decisions. He simply doesn't have um, have time. To actually, you know, to do much personal personal reading, yeah, yeah. The Second World War is a period in which his life as a, a personal reader uh, is curtailed. But having said that, um, there's a kind of curious thing. Okay, so the war come, you know, at the, just after the war in October 1945, the war's over. Uh, you know, Stalin is actually is is exhausted. But by the war, personally, um, so he 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 goes on what what becomes the first of um, uh, annual holidays, very long holidays on on the Black Sea, and he's away from Moscow for several months uh, every year. Okay, so this is October nineteen forty five. This is the first of these holidays. Well, what's the first thing he do when he arrives at his dacha in, in Georgia? Is that he calls in a group of Georgian historians and he wants to have a discussion with them about their textbook history. Of Georgia, because George Stalin was Georgian, so he had a particular uh, interest in that topic, and of course, all the, also that, that that's of course why he 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 liked to go to Georgia. Uh, that's where most of his Black Sea dachas were, were, were located. So he caused them to discuss their, their their history, or two of them anyway, and this discussion goes on for you know four days, four yeah four day discussion about various aspects of of of, of Georgian history. So even you know, in that context, even during the war. Stalin's still keeping up his reading, you know, he's still reading things and he's still, he's still kind of engaging. And particularly, you know, I, 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 if, if you ask me the question, what's Stalin's favourite subject? I suppose you'd have to say, well, yeah, Marxism, you know, the Marxist classics, the writings of Marx, Engels and Lenin uh, in particular. But coming a close second and almost, almost more important, I would say, in some ways, is history. Yeah. That's you know, as, as a reader, Stalin is uh, obsessed with reading about the past, with reading about history, all different kinds of history. So, in one way, you know, it's it's rather it's rather odd that you know he chooses to have this particular discussion. Uh, but in another way, it's it it yeah, it's what you would expect. Yeah, you know, for someone like Stalin, who's, who's obsessed uh, with history, yeah, he want, you know he has the opportunity, he wants to discuss. Uh, history and express his views with these uh, professional historians. Now, you you made the point earlier that a lot of his collection no longer survives or no longer survives as a collection. So what did happen to his library following his death? Yeah, okay. um, Let me just go back to what I was saying about Lenin uh, earlier. So so Lenin had a big 
personal book collection, 9,000 volumes when he died. Um, and what happened to Lenin's book collection was that it was preserved uh, intact, yeah? Including Le Lenin was the same as Stalin. Lenin liked to, to mark his books, yes? <laughs> he did the same thing. Yeah, um, so, so was preserved intact, yeah? And, and um, a kind of museum in, in honour uh, of uh, of Lenin was established just outside Moscow at a place called called Gorky, where he'd spent the last part of his life. Okay, so when Stalin dies in 1953, the plan is to do the same with Stalin's personal book collection, yeah, to treat Stalin the same way as Lenin had been treated, to preserve that collection intact. And the specific plan was to turn his dacha, the one I was talking about earlier, where there was this big library room, to turn that into a Stalin, Stalin museum, yeah? And, and presumably part of the plan would have been to locate the library, his library books, or at least a good number of them, at this at this particular location. Okay, but what happens is is that uh, Khrushchev denounces Stalin at the uh, 20, 20th Party Congress in 1956. After the Congress, uh, the whole uh, Stalin Museum project is shelved, is, 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 is abandoned, and decisions are taken to, um, to disassemble his personal effects, yes? Yeah, and not, not uh, and including his books. Yeah, okay. So, so, so what happens is is that twenty five thousand books or thereabouts, most of them, about twenty thousand of them, are um, distributed to other libraries. They're given to other libraries, yes, to become part of those those li libraries ho holdings. Um, about five thousand, five and a half, five thousand books are retained by the party archive, and the reason that these books are are retained is because they are identifiably Stalin's books, and are identifiably Stalin's books for one of two reasons, or sometimes both reasons. Firstly, you know, Stalin had marked them. Yeah, it had his handwritings and markings in them. So it's about four hundred texts we're talking about here. But then there was also another five thousand books which. Um, had the imprint of Stalin's ex libris stamp. What happens in the 1920s is that Stalin um, employs the services of a librarian, a librarian called um, uh, Shushanika Manucherans. Yeah, Shushanika had been Lenin's um, uh, librarian. Yeah, she was Lenin's librarian. Okay, so Lenin dies in 1924, and then she because well, she didn't actually become uh, Stalin's sole librarian because she. Because she continues to work for Lenin's widow and Lenin's sister, but she 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 does a job of work as um, as Stalin's librarian. Yeah, and, and and one of the things she does is is that she devises an ex libris stamp. Yes, which is stamp to stamp in his books, which basically it's in Russian says you know, you know the, the library of Joseph Stalin. And what this stamp was was basically a replica or near replica of the kind of stamp that she'd done for Lenin. Lenin's books were also stamped, yeah? So Shushanika comes along, she, she devises this stamp, and then she actually um, stamps his books, the books that he had at that present time. And that system of stamping new books into Stalin's personal collection continues for, for several years. Okay, but it comes to an end in, in, the early, in the early 1930s. For some reason, it's not clear. The stamping of, of Stalin's library books begins. But by that time, there's several thousand stamped books, right? Okay, and those are the books that are retained 
uh, after Stein's death, yeah, because they had the stamp, yeah. So, so on all the other books are, are, are you know, they're given away to, to to other libraries, and you know, and the unfortunate thing is, is that. During this process of you know, d- d- dissolving Stalin's library, um, disassembling it, there's no record kept of what books was was in it and what um, which books were given to which library. So, so, so that's why we're uncertain as to the exact nature and scope of, of Stalin's library. Okay, but what did survive are this, you know, five five and a half thousand books which identifiably, uh, you know, belonged to his library, and, that, and that's that's the that's the basic source for my uh, for my book uh, about Stalin's library. Just one other point about this: um, in terms of Stalin's marking of books, and in terms of the books that were stamped with his latest library state, virtually all of the books are non-fiction books, yeah? Stalin had a huge collection of fiction as well, we know from various sources, yeah, thousands of uh, novels, plays, short story collections, whatever. Um, But because he generally didn't write in fiction, uh, and because these books weren't actually stamped has belonged to his library, that part of his collection completely disappeared after his death. So we know that Stalin um, had this huge collection of, of, of fictional books, of literature. We know that he read a, a huge uh, amount of literature. We know this from other sources, but we don't we, we don't exactly know, um, you, know, you, know, you know what books are actually were in his fiction collection. So we kind of there's a bit of guesswork that, that goes go, that goes on there. But still in, in my book I do have a chapter called Stalin and Soviet Literature. Uh, about Stalin and Soviet literature. And what I do there is like it's work from back from what Stalin said about literature and about various aspects of cultural policy to actually build a picture of Stalin as a reader of uh, of, of of fiction as well as non-fiction. And subsequent to Stalin, did any future Soviet or Russian leaders share his enthusiasm for reading? I, oh, I, I think I think that I think they all did. I think they all did, yes. To one degree or uh, another. Um probably the the post Stalin leader that comes closest to um Stalin in the, in the intellectual terms in terms of reading will be Gorbachev. I would say. Also, maybe um, Andropov as well. Andropov, um, yeah, he was a bit of an intellectual uh, as, as well. Yeah, so so you know, no, no, you know, your your reading was an essential part of you know, your Bolshevik culture. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, from from the get go, um, you know, reading was seen by the Bolsheviks as being you know an instrument of transformation, not just an instrument of revolutionary agitation. Not just the instrument of um, changing people's consciousness, um, developing them into socialists, but also an instrument for you know uh, for, for the transformation of human nature. Yeah. So so you know through ideas, through people's engagement with ideas, through reading matter, that's the way you know uh, that, you know the, the Bolsheviks you know saw themselves carrying through this kind of fundamental uh, uh, you know rev- revolution uh, instrument. So that that that. I, that was very deeply ingrained in the whole Bolshevik tradition. So naturally, you know, reading was you know was was central, and, and not just for the leaders of the party, but also for for for, for the members as well. And Stalin himself played a um, a great deal of uh, attention to the uh, theoretical education of 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 party mem- party party members. And in the nineteen thirties, he was very heavily engaged in a project to write a um, 
a history of the Communist Party, a short history of the Communist Party. Now, that's a text that subsequently um, you know, becomes quite a notorious text because it's seen to embody a lot of Stalinist dogma and it contains a lot of denunciations of of Stalin's uh, enemies within the party. And, you know, and, and it's it's a very, very like one-sided and distorted account of the history of the Communist Party. There's no doubt about that. But the thing that was um that Stalin was trying to achieve with that book was to actually educate the party members or or n- not not the lower ranks, but the middle ranks. It was a tool of education. You know, he wanted to educate educate me in the history of the party, but also the theory of the party. Yeah. Um, so, so it's very much, uh, or Stalin saw it. This short history, a book of kind of ideas, and his his argument was a lot. You know, people need to grasp the essential ideas of the party if they're going to be uh, you know effective party cadres. That was Jeffrey Roberts. Stalin's Library, A Dictator and His Books is out now, published by Yale. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley.